Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. In today's gospel, our Lord is telling us to do something that we normally think is either sinful or at least impolite. He's telling us in today's gospel, do not ignore the sins of your neighbor. You know, don't turn a blind eye. Don't pretend as if nothing is actually happening when it's your neighbor who is sinning. He's actually saying we need to proactively respond when we see them doing something wrong. The whole gospel is about this is how you confront your neighbor. And it ends by saying you shouldn't even associate with certain people who refuse to change their ways. So it's a very countercultural lesson from our Lord today. You know, in our society, we are trained to mind our own business, you know, to sacrifice everything for the sake of being polite and for being kind. Any sort of correction is seen as the individual being judgmental or being rash. And we have to agree to disagree at all costs. It might be that we are so often told this and we so often think this because we are overreacting as a culture to another cultural tendency. Because we've got on the one hand the culture that tells us never judge your neighbor. But on the other hand we've got the culture that is perhaps the most hypercritical in human history. Mudslinging is something which is reaching whole new levels with social media. Especially nowadays during this time of year with the elections coming up. And it's not because necessarily we are worse than anybody else, it's just a lot easier to do it now. You can now anonymously bash somebody else and they never see your face and you never have to deal with their retaliation. At the same time, we also learn a lot more about other people and what they're doing wrong. So there are many opportunities in our culture for being judgmental in the truly sinful sense of the word. So what are we to do with this? We have on the one hand, this, our Lord is telling us you should be correcting your neighbor. On the other hand, the world is telling us we shouldn't. We, need, we shouldn't be judgmental, but even though it does it. And if we look at the Bible for an answer, it doesn't seem to, get very, doesn't seem to be clarified either. Because you've got passages that go both ways, we can say. In the Old Testament, the prophets are always correcting the kings and the people. They're always rebuking people for their sins. But at the same time, the Old Testament also reminds us that God alone knows the heart of man. In the New Testament, you've got St. Paul, the same person, saying both things. So in his letter to the Romans, he said, Why do you judge your brothers? For we all stand before God's judgment. But he himself is very harsh in other letters, rebuking the sins of those people that he is writing to. And he has something which is almost identical to what Jesus says in today's letter, today's gospel. When he was writing to the Corinthians, he said he rebuked them because they were tolerating the presence of a man in their community who was having an adulterous relation with his stepmother. He said, how could you deal with this? You must deliver him to Satan, he says. Cast him out of the community so that his soul might be saved, he adds. And our Lord will also have verses, passages that go both ways. 
he seems to forbid it when he tells people, he tells the person without sin to throw the first stone at the adulterous woman, but then he will also say in today's gospel that we need to be judging our neighbor. We need to be correcting our neighbor. We need to be reprimanding. Now the solution to all this is actually not as complicated. The solution to all this this apparent opposition or apparent, apparent contradiction in Scripture is to be found in making a slight distinction. We are allowed to judge people's words. I've mentioned this before, but if little Joseph says 2 plus 2 equals 5, I can tell him you're wrong. That's incorrect. That's not sinful. That's the fact that I am telling him. He is in error. Also, we can judge people's actions. If Joseph cheats on a test, I can tell him, that's wrong, you shouldn't have done that. He acted immorally. What I cannot do, and what nobody can do, is then turn to little Joseph and say, you are a bad human being because you did that. We are not the definitive judge. We are not able to judge the person. But yes, we can say he is an heir, he is incorrect, and yes, we can say he did something wrong. And so the passages that refer to forbidding judgment, they're referring to the judging of the person, considering the other person to be a monster because of what they've done. And the passages in the gospel that refer to actually reprimanding, rebuking the sinner, refer to that need for us to correct the sinner for his words and his actions. So today's gospel is just a game plan from our Lord about how you actually go about doing that. Like once we've established that somebody else is doing something objectively speaking wrong, or said something objectively speaking incorrect, what do you do about that? You approach them one-on-one, says our Lord. And if they heed your admonition, you have won your neighbor. You have won your brother. He has been converted if he heeds your rebuke. Okay, he doesn't do that. Step two, you get two or three other people that also are aware of the situation. And the four of you together go and confront him. This is something which I think most of us are familiar with. It's something which is actually implemented in all those 12-step programs where you have this, you frequently have interventions. So it's not enough. Like, it's not just the wife is going to confront the husband about his addiction, but the wife plus a co-worker plus a parent plus a friend all of them together are going to confront the husband about his addiction. That's what our Lord is saying we should do as well. Okay, he doesn't pay attention to them either. Go to the church. Go to somebody in authority. For example, if you've got somebody who is passing out flyers at the church door, a parishioner who is passing out flyers at the church door that are erroneous, that are contrary to the faith, or if somebody is blocking the parking lot with their vehicle, okay, He didn't pay attention to me. He didn't pay attention to all four of us who told him to move his vehicle. Okay, let's go to the authorities. And the fourth step, our Lord says, if all of that fails, treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Now that sounds very harsh at first, but it has a pastoral goal. We're going to do this so that the sinner can see his actions have separated him from the community. We're dealing here with more serious things. So like the blocking the parking lot with the vehicle probably wouldn't result in being cast out of the community. But 
if it's a more serious matter, which is what our Lord has in mind, there already is a separation between the individual and the community. It's not as if, well, we have voted as a democratic community of a parish and we have decided you are no longer one of us. But rather, through this person's obstinacy in staying in air, or through his obstinacy, his stubbornness in sticking with this bad moral life, he has already separated himself. And so the treating of him is nothing more than treating him in accordance with the reality that pre-exists. He is already, in a sense, to put it simply, lost grace. He has fallen out of grace, and so now he's going to be treated in accordance with that situation, with that status. So it sounds very harsh, but the people that are doing it are reflecting the, the actual reality with the goal of shocking him, of waking him up, of bringing to his attention that this is a significant issue and you need to change. Or else this separation between you and us is going to be eternal. We don't want that. This passage and similar ones are the foundation for the church's practices of uh, excommunication. Out of love for sinners, the church will occasionally excommunicate somebody in order to save their soul. When St. Paul told the Corinthians to deliver this man who was with his stepmother to the devil, he said, he finished, or rather he concluded that sentence by saying, that his spirit might be saved on the day of judgment. Excommunication is a medicinal penalty, is what the church calls it. Medicinal. It's supposed to be curative. It's supposed to heal you. But it's going to hurt at the same time. So, like, we've got all sorts of pharmaceuticals with a million side effects. They're going to make you nauseous. They're going to make you dizzy. They're going to make you sleepy. But it'll help you. And we take that stuff. We know the side effects, and we take it because we know that it's going to be better for us in the long term. Or so too, chemotherapy for cancer. It's poison that we put into our bodies that really debilitates us, but we know it's going to be better. What those medicines do for the body, excommunication, the church prays, will do for the soul. It will be harmful, maybe short-term, but it is something which will bring about a conversion. And so throughout history, the church has done this, especially for prominent Catholics. Because there's always uh, Catholics out there who call themselves Catholic and then do everything but act like Catholics. That's nothing new. But it's also something very recent, very current. In 2013, there was a priest in Australia who was excommunicated by Pope Francis because he was supporting uh, or promoting the marriage of same-sex couples and he attempted to ordain women. In Uganda, I think this was 2011 or 2008, I can't remember, there was another priest, Father Simon. He ran for political office. He won. He was excommunicated by Pope Benedict because he violated canon law. There was a sister who allowed an abortion to take place. She was excommunicated. This is back in 2005. But she was reconciled to the church. And up in St. Louis, Missouri, there were four members of a there were four lay members of a parish staff who committed the sin of schism, they broke from the church, they were excommunicated, and they were reconciled to the church after the fact. So, the church uses excommunication for those nominal Catholics in order that they might be made aware of the gravity of their situation so that they can then convert and come back to the fold. 
but it will only do it if it hopes for reconciliation. So not everybody who is obstinately in error is going to get excommunicated because there might be a realistic appraisal that this is not actually going to help this individual. But always for the good of the person who we are cutting off. We always are trying to move them to conversion. It is out of love that these drastic steps are taken. Because advising somebody to change, correcting a sinner, is one of the most loving things you can do. Fraternal correction, or as we call it nowadays, um, constructive criticism, is an act of love. So if you've got a kid who spent all afternoon making a cake batter and sticks it in the oven at 500 degrees, they would appreciate you to tell them that you probably shouldn't cook it at 500 degrees. All your hard work is going to be for nothing. Or if you're on a road trip and somebody's going to miss the exit, you should tell them to get over lest they waste a half hour of their day because they didn't exit when they should have. Or when you're learning a new language, it's good to be corrected. Like when I was learning Spanish, I was very appreciative of the fact that people would tell me, you're wrong, you spoke incorrectly. This is how you're supposed to say that. Because if I was never corrected, I would never learn. I would never actually have gained that capacity. It wasn't fun to be corrected, but it was good for me. And it's not easy to correct somebody else either. This is the other side of the coin. It's not just about, oh my gosh, I have to be corrected. Oh, somebody's going to tell me I'm wrong. Oh, this hurts. But it's also painful to tell somebody else in charity that they are in error. Because it's easy for us to get angry at somebody because they are, don't agree with us. But if we're actually doing it the right way, it's difficult. It's difficult to correct the sinner. It's difficult to admonish somebody who's living in error. It takes courage and fortitude, but it is an act of love, which helps them, and it doesn't really help, much, help us much. In the first reading, the prophet Ezekiel talks about this. The Lord God said, you are like a watchman looking over the house of Israel. If you see the enemy approaching, and you do not say anything, if you do not warn the people, I will hold you accountable. But if you do warn them, and they perish nonetheless, you will not be held responsible for their blood. And the same is true of us. If we are silent when there is something that could be said, should be said, and we can say it, we will be held responsible for our omission, for neglecting the spiritual welfare of our neighbor. If I have two pieces of bread and the person next to me is starving and I don't give him a piece of bread, that's on me. I might not have stolen from him, but I could have helped him and I didn't. I'm guilty of that. But we all have personal experience. Our words are not magical. Our words don't always work. Our words won't always convert the sin. So our Lord appropriately ends today's gospel by saying, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will give it. He is with us. He is in our midst. In this assembly, we're more than two or three. We are gathered in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is with us here. What are we praying for? Who are we praying for? Because he's listening to us. He hears our prayers. The Vatican Council said he's especially here in the Eucharist, which is about to descend upon this altar. 
So now that we are with our God, what do we say to Him? What words do we have for Him? Let us pray with the Blessed Virgin Mary that we might have the courage to correct those who are in error, the courage to correct those who are living in sin, that they might convert, that they might repent and be reconciled to the fold, which is the only way of salvation.